morning. Man, it's such a joy to be able to worship uh, with you this morning, and thank you so much um, for leading us. We're so grateful to this band who's led us, and students, uh, such an awesome moment to just be able to worship with all of you, and um, I'm going to go ahead and claim, we like to sometimes claim records on Disciple Now weekends, and so I'm just going to claim that we've put more people in the Melissa Art Center than ever before, worshiping Jesus, and what an amazing gift that is. I, um, my name's Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and I absolutely love this weekend, I love being able to worship together uh, with all of you, I love the way that our community is able to come together for this time of worship, and um, our church family, all of those that stood, and so many others, um, do all of this because we uh, believe that God has called us to magnify the name of Christ in this city. Um, and that's why we planted this church uh, almost nine years ago. And every effort, everything that we have strived to do has been, in a, in a sense, just in an obedience to that calling on our lives. And so thank you so much. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you for being here. I expect that many of you who are guests are here because your students were here. And I just want to echo Caleb's appreciation for entrusting your kids to us, not just this weekend, but also uh, throughout the year on Wednesday nights. And I also want to um, just say... A a word of appreciation uh, for Caleb um, and Macy. Caleb, uh, yes, give him a round of applause. We say it often um, in our church um, that he is truly the goat. Um, we are so thankful for him. Um, he is an amazing gift to our church. He joined our staff just a couple of years ago. He was our uh, speaker for Disciple Now and then came on to our staff the very next month. And um, just seeing his impact in the lives of these students and even more through the lives of so many of you parents um, is an amazing thing. And so um, I just want you to know, Caleb, I'm speaking directly to you. And I think Macy is right here in front of me. Um, we just bless you and honor you. And we're so grateful for the way you serve us. Um, serve alongside us, and it is a uh, tremendous joy. So thank you, brother. Um, I'm really grateful. You know, I and my family, we, um, we attend a camp um, in the summer months, Pine Cove. Pine Cove City will be coming to Melissa, by the way, this summer again. And um, one of the things that I, I love the way that our uh, camp director sends us off from our weeks, and he reminds us every time we're departing from camp where God usually does some really cool and powerful things, um, that he is not just the God of Pine Cove or the God of this place, but he is the God of the universe. And as we come to the end of our Disciple Now weekend, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Corinthian church in chapter 3, uh, where he talks about the differing people, Apollos and Paul, and he says that all of us used our gifts, but it is God who gave the increase, and it is God who has been at work. And you have sweatshirts on, students, and many of our leaders that say, because of God, and so all of this is because of God. And as we prayed, even through the worship band leading us, um, what I want to leave you with or encourage you in this morning is to remember that God is not just the God of D now or over a weekend, but he's the God of the universe and your life has been transformed by him. And so, yes, let us be people who honor him and magnify his name. Don't walk away from this weekend and just move on. Let it sit for a few moments. Finally, one quick announcement referencing the very large number of us that are gathered here. Um, if you've never been to our property, City Church um, lives at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane. 
Um, it's a beautiful campus, a beautiful property. Um, it is much smaller than this room. And yet, um, almost this many of you have been showing up to worship with us week in and week out over the last few months. And we rejoice over that. We're so thankful for that. Um, but in order to accommodate and make room for the many guests and the growth of our church, um, I do want to make sure if you haven't already heard this and guess you wouldn't have received this maybe in an email communication yet, but we are moving next weekend, January 22nd, to three worship gatherings. Our first worship gathering will be at 8 a.m., um, followed by one at 9.30, and followed by one at 11 a.m. Uh, City Church family, we just ex- ask Um, plead with you would you might choose first that 8 a.m. service and if for some reason that is just not humanly possible for you and the giftings that God has entrusted to you then you could move to the 11 a.m. because we expect that many of our friends that might be visiting us who are not familiar with our faith family would come to that 930 middle service and so we want to really strive to bracket that Uh, we really want to make sure that all of us next week who gather um, at 8 a.m. I have preached to a camera alone during those years where we couldn't gather you remember those months that were really terrible Um, I didn't like that and so it wasn't helpful for me and so if you would show up at 8 a.m. just so there would be somebody that I could um, really preach to that would be your blessing to me next week so again January 22nd next week in 8 9 30 and 11. I have a confession to make as we open up God's word I um, wrote this sermon last night at about midnight. Now that wasn't because of laziness. That wasn't because I was too busy with all the other things. No, I wrote this message last night because as I was sitting in my house um, at the end of the evening, considering all that I'd seen God do and all that I knew God was doing as I sat at our house and our leader Emily was gathering with students having one-on-one conversations. I knew that was happening all over the community with these leaders speaking to these kids. I knew that parents, you had been away from your children, perhaps had anxieties and fears and all of those things kind of maybe perhaps bubbling up in you. The team that puts this all together so we can worship here, Matt and our AV team and um, really just everyone was here sort of making sure again we had space and that you could hear me and all of those things. There was just a lot of things happening last night as I sat there I just sort of felt the weight of all of that God has been so good to this faith family to this community to our church and so good this weekend we've seen him moving we know that he has been at work um, this weekend and in the midst of all of the goodness and the excitement and the joy that we experience there's also at the same time so often as it was last night I expected that there was probably some heavy conversations and just as a pastor a guy who loves people My heart just sort of went to, man, I am, Lord, I just ask you to move. I ask you to lift the burdens, sort of take some of the weight off of these students who I know are carrying so much. You know, we have so many good things in our life, and yet so often there are times when we still hurt, when we still grieve. And so what do we do in those moments? This morning, you may be thinking about a struggle that you're facing, and you may be saying to yourself, students, you may have said this to your leaders last night, I just can't face it. Why would I even try? Parents, you might be thinking about a challenge that your child has had, or something in front of you with your work, or your family dynamics, or a marriage issue, another you know, relational issue, and you just think, I don't have any energy, I don't have any ability to fix it. You say to yourself, I'm not the dad or the mom. 
Or maybe like me last night with all of those things sort of weighing on my heart and just thinking about all of the various conversations and all of the moving parts of this week and all that was happening, I started to kind of think to myself, Ryan, you don't have it. Look at how many people are here and how many students we're engaging with. You don't have, you're, you're out of your depth. You're not the leader that you need to be or you can be. We start to hear those whispers. So as I was pondering all of those thoughts, I opened God's word and prompted by something that was said just very briefly last night, I went to a text that we'd been looking at in our men's Bible study from 1 Samuel chapter 17. I wrote this message with the hope that it might encourage us all to remind us of what is ultimately true when we face challenges that we're not sure we have the ability to face, when we face life. 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath, a story that I expect many of you are rather familiar with. If you have been around church at all, you probably have heard this story. It's probably been taught to you, whether it was in Sunday school class or in other places, you probably have looked at it. But just in case you're not as familiar with David and Goliath in this story, David and Goliath is a story of two people groups who are at war. This young boy named David, in the, when we pick up in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, has been anointed as king, and yet he is not ruling yet as king in the moment. He's been told by God that he will be the king over Israel, and he's going to replace a man named Saul. And the reason he's going to replace a man named Saul is because Saul was disobedient to God throughout the first 16 chapters of this book. We see all of the various things that Samuel did that that God said, you're not going to any longer lead my people. And so at this moment in time in chapter 17... Because it's a very long passage of scripture, I'm not, I don't have time this morning to read it uh, exhaustively for you, but we see the Philistine army and the Israelite army, and they're encamped on two sides of a valley. And between this valley, the Philistines, they send out a warrior. This warrior, his name was Goliath, and Goliath begins to mock the Israelites and tell them that he's going to destroy them, and he essentially makes a wager with the Israelites, which says, if you can kill me, then all of, me, all of our people will become your servants, but if we kill your champion, send someone out to battle me, and if I kill them, then you will become our servants. So we meet this man named Goliath. And when we hear the story of Goliath, it helps us to understand a little bit about ourselves. First, Goliath was way too big for the Israelites to face. In in verse 4 of chapter 17, it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He's a giant. He's way too big. When he marches out between the valley and begins to attack and mock the Israelites, they all shudder in fear just looking at his size. Second thing we see about Goliath as we look at verse 6 is that Goliath had all of the right tools to kill. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He had every tool in order to kill someone. There was not going to be a warrior from Israel that could come and stand up against him and his ability to kill. Third, we see if we skip down to verse 10 of chapter 17, 
Goliath had no regard for God's people. And the Philistine said, this is Goliath speaking, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Israel, were the chosen people of God. Give me a man that we may fight together. And of course, we see the summary of all of this in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Israel had this problem, Goliath, standing before them, mocking them, ready to kill them, ready to destroy them. They had no ability, they believed, to confront this or to deal with this issue. But one of the things that we sometimes miss, if you're too familiar with this story, you might have missed this. It may just sort of roll off your tongue almost as second nature. But the problem that Israel had wasn't ultimately Goliath. See, Israel's problem was manifested through Goliath. They could see the tangible problem that they faced through Goliath, but their real problem was their sin. Their real problem was the pride to think that they knew better than God. They called themselves the people of God. They claimed to worship God, but they did not follow God with their entire lives. You ask me, how do I know that? Well, all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and then again in chapter 10, we see the beginning of Saul, this king again who is currently king awaiting this transfer to David. In the chapter 8, the Israelites, they ask Samuel, a prophet, a man of God, they say to him, we want to have a king like the other nations. See, all the other nations, they're coming against us to fight us and we want to have a king like them. And God said to them, I am your king. But ultimately, in verses 7 through 9, this is what God says to Samuel. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The end, verse 9, now obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so Samuel warns them, and they still say, yeah, God's not enough. Give us a king. And then in chapter 10, we see Saul is chosen by Israel to be king, and this is how that happens in verse 17 of 1 Samuel 10. Now Samuel called the people together, the Lord at Mitzpah, and he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt and I delivered you from the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distress and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord and your tribes. And out of that, the Israelites choose Saul. Saul, they chose him Because scripture says of Saul, he stood higher than any of the other Israelites. He looked the part. He looked like the king they wanted to follow. And so Goliath is just a representation of their sin and their pride to say, we won't follow God. We reject God as our king. Give us a warrior. And now they came face to face with a warrior that they were deathly afraid of. The issue of Israel, again, was their sin. And Goliath points ultimately to our problems. See, Goliath isn't the problem that sits out there that we have to face and we have to figure out how to take down. Goliath reminds us of what our problem ultimately is. See, if you follow on the screen with me, it wasn't Goliath that was too big. It was our sin is too big. We have no chance of defeating sin on our own. 
That's what so often we get caught up in is striving to figure out a way that we can overcome and that we can win the battle that we face on our own. But our sin is too big. We can't do that. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. What we earn as a result of our sinfulness, the proper response of God to our sinfulness is death. Our sin is way too big, just as Goliath was too big for the Israelites, they thought. Our sin has all the right tools to kill us, not just Goliath, but it's our sin. It knows exactly how to attack Have you ever noticed that the challenges that you face, they're so often right up here and in here, not even always audibly spoken out loud, but it is as if your sin and your flesh, it knows how to get right to the heart of condemning you and convicting you and bringing judgment upon you. Have you ever noticed that the sin issues that you face aren't the same issues that your friends face? See, when I look at my own sin, when I look at my own deficiencies, And I look at all the different things that come up against me. See, my sin won't affect you the same way it affects me. And the same, your sin won't affect you the same way it affects you. We deal with these differently because our sin knows exactly how to get to the heart. Jesus said this in John 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy And it knows how to specifically do that in each of our lives. What will kill me might not kill you, but your sin knows exactly how to kill you. And it will find you out. Just like Goliath, our sin has the right tools. Finally, our sin has no regard for us. It only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Have you ever had a sin issue, a challenge that you faced in your life, and it was sort of gracious? Like, hey, I'm going to hold off on bothering you with this till Tuesday, because I noticed you had a little bit of a full Monday on your calendar. I realize you kind of have a lot on your plate, so I'm just going to kind of wait on this one. I don't want want you to feel too condemned in this moment. Does our sin, it's not empathetic towards us. Our sin doesn't say, hey, I kind of have this I'm going to convict you of and kind of judgment I'm going to bring against you, but I'll hold off. James said in chapter 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all, which reveals to us all of our sinfulness and the problem that we face, and it's always attacking always attacking it has no regard for us see our problems aren't the Goliaths that we face at the root of all of this the so-called Goliath in our lives is our sin what do we do when we face these real issues let's look at what God did back to our story in 1 Samuel 17 God had appointed David which Bible, the Bible says of him was a man after God's own heart. First Samuel 13, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And David had been anointed by God to be king in, in chapter 16, just one chapter earlier. And David hears what's going on in verses 24 through 47. That's kind of a compilation of just all of what's happening in the land and the war that's happening. And David says, I'm not going to stand for this. 
So he says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to meet this warrior, Goliath. Look at what he says in verses 45 and 47. You come to me with a sword, he's speaking to Goliath, and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David doesn't attack Goliath based on his own abilities, his own capacity, all of the tools that he's gained, even though he did have many of those things. He referenced that he had learned how to fight the bear and the lion and all the different things. He had the slingshot and he knew how to kill, but he doesn't reference any of those things. He says that the battle is the Lord's and because you have brought reproach on God's name, I will stand against you. See, David couldn't stand how Goliath taunted his people. Once again, Think about David. Think about your own sin. Have you ever noticed how your sin taunts you? It shouts insults at you? Have you ever laid your head down at night and not been able to fall to sleep because of all the things that were rattling around inside, all of those attacks and saying, you're not good enough, you're not, you know, Kevin referenced that last night with our students as he spoke to them, this idea of self-deprecation where we just beat ourselves up. Our sin taunts us. It shouts insults at us. And when it knocks us down, it stands over us and mocks us. That's what our sin does. And David couldn't stand the way that Goliath did that to God's people. David wasn't going to allow Goliath's reproach on God's name, to attack God's name. To bring reproach means to sort of to bring God's name down. Again, have you ever felt like your sin tells you lies? You begin to ask yourself, is it even possible that God could love me? Surely there's no way God loves me. You know that that is telling God who he is, by the way? We don't do that, but our sin does that. Our sin tells us, surely God made a mistake with you. Third, David was grieved by the death Goliath threatened. I say this often in our church. Just think about what causes us so many problems. Our sin trying to convince us that our ultimate aim should be to preserve our own lives, to protect our lives at any cost. Can you imagine if we had no fear of death? If we really believed all that the Bible says of us, that those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we shall not die? Can you imagine the boldness and the strength And how we would come against those attacks in our own sinful hearts? What would our lives look like? And David was grieved by this attack uh, by Goliath on his people and the death that he promised to bring. Well, here's where we get to the heart of the matter and why this true story is in our Bibles. See, David is not us. God is not in this story calling you to stand up as David and to face your own Goliaths because as we already said, Goliath representing our sin, we have no capacity to stand up against that on our own. But David points us to Jesus, the redeemer of sinners. See, if we take all those things that we see of David and how he felt about Goliath and we can see that he points ultimately, he is a pointer 
to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus also couldn't stand how sin taunted his people and continues to taunt his people. Jesus knows our accuser very, very well. He knows him, and Revelation has a word of what is coming for him and his taunts. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, God's word says, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Jesus couldn't stand how sin taunted his people. And so he came so that he could cast the accuser down and end this constant battle that we face of the lies that we hear at night. Those things that are told against us, the taunts that sin plants in our hearts and minds. Jesus also wasn't going to allow the sin of our sin to bring reproach on God's name. See, Jesus came to bring glory to the Father. John chapter 17, he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to him, to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished your work that you gave me to do. Not quite yet, guys. Sorry. I got a little bit more time. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, Jesus wasn't going to allow the sins, our sins, to bring reproach on God's name. He wasn't ready for that. He was not going to allow that. Third, Jesus was grieved by the death sin threatened. Jesus was grieved by the death that sin threatened. And we see this on full display in the story of Lazarus from John chapter 11. Some of you might remember this story. I preached on it a number of months ago. But in John chapter 11, why did Jesus weep? You know, it wasn't because Lazarus was dead. It wasn't because he was dead. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do when he came to raise him from the dead. No, Jesus wept because he was grieved at what sin had done to his creation. Death had a grip on it. And when Jesus came face to face with his good friend Lazarus, his death, when he saw that, it grieved him what death had done. So it wasn't It's not on us to go and kill Goliath. No, Jesus and David ultimately points us, excuse me, to Jesus, the redeemer of sinners. David killed Goliath. And he didn't just kill him. He severed the head of the one who threatened God's people. Give me one more moment. Give me a minute. Give me, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I feel like I'm in the Academy Awards. 
getting played off the stage. Don't let that distract us from what God is saying here. David points us to Jesus, the redeemer of sinners. And Jesus was so grieved by the threat of death that he wept at Lazarus' tomb. And that's what motivated him to go and to, or to come and to lay down his life to kill sin once and for all. David killed Goliath, and he didn't just kill him. As I said, he severed the head of the one who threatened God's people. 1 Samuel 17, 51 says this, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The enemy of God's people fled when they saw their champion killed. Jesus, he went to a cross to defeat sin and death once and for all for you and for me. And look what John 1 says about Jesus. Very first chapter, the apostle John is speaking of Jesus and he says, the light shines in the darkness. That light is Jesus. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See, when Jesus' light comes into the world, darkness has to flee. Darkness cannot overcome Jesus. The enemy of God's people cannot overcome the light of our Redeemer. As I think about this story of David and Goliath, what it teaches us, what it reminds us of, is that we have a Savior that the story of David points to, who came and killed the enemy of God's people, destroyed it, took it down, when they had no ability to handle it on their own. Romans 5 speaks of this. And what Jesus accomplished for us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type, the one who was to come. That first little section there, The Apostle Paul is writing to us and is saying that sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and it is pervasive, and sin attacks us, and it comes against us, and it reigns over the world, but here's the hope of the gospel in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We are made right before God. For if because one man's trespass death reigned, that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is the gospel, that sin came in. And there was no means for us to confront that or to deal with that sin. And so Jesus came to justify us. And if you're a part of our church family, I hope you remember just a number of months ago our study from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, assuring us that what Christ accomplished for us was enough and was satisfactory before the Father. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What Jesus did on the cross was enough. And because it was enough, he was able to sit down at the right hand of God and secure for us a hope and a future. If Goliath is our problem, is your problem, and you are David, and the Bible is trying to teach us that we just need to have enough faith to fight our Goliath, then let me ask you this. What do we possibly need Jesus for? If we can do it on our own, if we have the strength to battle our own sin, if we have the strength to push back against the darkness all through our own giftedness or ability, why did Jesus have to come? That's not what this story teaches us. This story teaches us. It's showing us that our sin was too great, that we can't possibly defeat it. By the way, if we're any character in this story, we're the Israelites who run for cover at the face of Goliath, who hide our faces, who feel shame, who feel inability to deal with anything. That's who we are in this story. But David reminds us that God sent a shepherd, a shepherd who would come for his people, a shepherd who would defeat the one who mocked his people. Long after David, the good shepherd came, Jesus Christ. And he defeated not just you and I's sin, he defeated sin and death itself, friends. Do you believe that? Jesus came and he defeated sin and death altogether. We don't have to face our lives all alone. We don't have to figure out a way to overcome our own sinfulness. We don't have to try harder. We can't perform any better. There's nothing that this life has to offer that could satisfy or fix the problem that we have. And in our weakness, in our inability, God sent his son, Jesus, to finally, once and for all, put sin and death away for all time. The theme for this weekend is because of God, 
Because of God, I can live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he All fear is gone because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh, oh,